In the case of George and his wife, they had suffered loss. They had suffered a tremendous loss. It was a, a big loss to them to be removed from their church. They actually voluntarily went out the back door of their church because of this ambitious pastor who George actually hired and trained, and then he took over the church. As I was reviewing the facts relevant to the case, I recalled a statement that George had made. He said, I spent my career telling people not to be angry. And so I put myself in George's shoes. And I think when we take something to court, that's what happens in a courtroom. You hear their side of the story more than you even wanted to. And all the things that they have against you suddenly come out. Whereas when you're emotional and when you're early on, when someone's just offended you, all you can think about is how right you are and how very clear it looks that this other side is wrong. Well, that may be the case, but a court will need to decide that, Jesus says. And so as I began trying to imagine what life was like for George and his wife, who had made a career telling people never to show your anger. We want to be like Jesus, he said, never show your anger. And I was suggesting that a 50-year pastoral career had an element of, how should I say it, malpractice. That's hard to take. That's hard to take from some non-seminary trained physician who's saying, I think this is what we are supposed to be doing. This matches up with what Jesus did. This matches up with healthy expressions of anger. We are not supposed to be doormats and lay down and always you know, sneak out the back door lest we offend anybody and let them take over when they're evil. George, I think you've made a big error, and I think you should have confronted this. The thought that I had spent 50 years in my career and had left a church that perhaps I didn't need to leave. Perhaps God was calling me to, ooh, courage. That's a new word with confronting, narcissistic, angry, controlling, abusive people. It's often easier to go out the back door, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But the thought that you also don't get to hold your victim status if someone says, I think you could have and should have confronted Carl in front of the church and let them know there is a wolf taking over the pastoral position. Because when you left out the back door and you hired Carl, it looks like you are promoting him. You ha he has your stamp. You did not do a service to your congregation, George. That's hard to hear. If you are a retired pastor and you are proud of your spiritual insights and the fact that you so humbly avoided a church split and let this narcissist take over. 
Because what happened in Carl's church was that 50% of the people left anyway. They realized the man's not teaching the word of God. This is a lot of show. Uh, I'm not staying here. So half the people left anyway. See, we have to look at the fruit of the actions of what actually happened to determine was this God's will or was it not. So this is another thing that you can do when you look at the facts relevant to the case. What is it going to cost them to take on your point of view? For George and Barbie to even consider my point of view, I could just see this psychological block going up saying, it can't be that. Whatever it is, it's not that. I could not have made a 50-year mistake telling people to stuff their anger like we have. That's, that's too big a mistake for me to admit right now, and I would just rather it go away. David, stop talking. We're not listening to you. Jesus said, murder and anger are the same. And that's what we believe. I'm getting off the phone with you. I can understand better now when I take it to court and I realize what it would cost them to take on my point of view. The person you're having trouble with, what would it cost them to take on your point of view? These are things we need to consider in the court of law because in a courtroom you're going to hear their point of view. Things that you never even thought of. It gave me compassion for... George, I understand. I still would have liked to have been listened to. I still think there's room for movement, and perhaps a seed was planted in his mind, but I can understand him better. The last thing I want to talk about, these feelings that you have, this anger that you have, Is it a feeling of being dismissed, being devalued, being rejected? You think it's coming from this person. I'm going to give you some news. It's probably coming from your childhood. It's probably a trigger for something that has happened to you before. That's why you are so quickly angry. It's not a surprise to you. You've been treated like this before. It's called an implicit memory. It's deep in your psyche that this has happened before. You've been dismissed, and you have to fight. You're not invisible. You want to be seen. As you understand that about yourself, that's also something you're going to want to know so that you can make a honest judgment about what action should be taken, about how guilty they really are. I'll give you an example. Road rage. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You stop the car. You chase them. You pull them over. You pull out a gun and you shoot them. Did that situation occur at that moment? Has everything just happened right there in the last 15 minutes? Clearly not. Clearly not. It feels like it when you just avoid an accident, when someone's driving irresponsibly. I understand the initial, you don't care about me. I don't matter at all to you. 
is what that driver is saying. That's what you perceive they're saying. You don't know if they're on their way to the hospital, if whatever it is that they may have had to rush. But in your mind, you have just been devalued, dismissed, demeaned. I want us to look. Is, though, is this coming from something before? If you've been treated like that before in your childhood, there may be some forgiveness that you need to do to a parent, to an uncle, to an aunt, to somebody, a teacher, someone who treated you that way that gave you this memory and this bad feeling that you have to fight. And that can also be very, very instructive. So what I'm saying is not everything that I felt from my interaction with George was George's fault. Some of that has to do with my own experience of childhood. Let's just take some time now, uh, last discussion. Is there something, let's do some reflection, is there something in your past that you can look at to say, my response to this situation may be overblown. I believe this has happened to me before. It also could be that it's not. But at least it's an honest look. And as we learn the facts, guess what? We're learning about ourselves. We're becoming wiser. We're becoming more mature. We don't have to react the same way the next time. That's the value of why we're doing this processing, why we're talking about these things, so that we become ultimately like Jesus. When he's slapped in the face, he can say, if I said something wrong, testify. If not, why did you strike me? We can confront evil appropriately without emotion. And we can call people a fool when they need to be called a fool. But when we do it, we're not doing it in anger to wound them. We're doing it as Jesus was doing it to wake them up. Pharisees, scribes, you're actors. You're heading in the wrong direction. The God of the universe is standing in front of you. And all you can think about is your political power. Please, please, people, get a clue. Take another look. Jesus responds in anger, but he responds beautifully under control of his emotions. All right, let's take, let's take some time now. I want you to talk about your interpretation of the events. Is it possible these emotions are coming from something in the past? And the other thing is, if you were to walk a day in their moccasins, if you were to walk in their shoes, if you were to look at life from their point of view, which is the last thing we want to do when we're angry with someone. I want you to try to look at life from their point of view, actually through their childhood. What did they experience? How wounded are they? What do they want? What is their motivation for shutting down the conversation, for not giving you what you want? Why? What is their fear? What is driving them? What are their motivations? Let's try to understand life from their point of view so that we can have compassion and ultimately, it's going to be easier to forgive them if we can understand them. So another couple of minutes just to chat. The last thing I want to talk to you about is 
something that I believe is necessary in every forgiveness issue. Every time we use forgiveness, and that is boundary setting. It is something that rarely we talk about, that forgiving someone actually requires that you set a boundary with them. Most of us think of forgiveness as just letting it go, not thinking about it, setting them free. If we do that without setting a boundary, there's a good chance it's going to happen again. And when it happens again, your feelings are all going to come back again. So to set a boundary with this person is going to be very important. With the situation with George and Barbie sending me their medical lab results and things like that, I decided that I was going to set a boundary with them. I was not going to not help them with their medical advice if they wanted it. But I was no longer going to set aside the things on my schedule to take their phone call. They were not interested in really who I truly was and my overall medical opinion. They only wanted a very narrow slice of me. That feels like someone using you. It doesn't feel good. Now, if people want medical advice, I will not hold, withhold it from them. But I'm no longer going to make them a priority. I'm not going to immediately take the call. I'm going to say, well, I can schedule you, you know, next week on Thursday for 15 minutes. It's not going to be an open-ended call like it used to be. So I set a boundary. I'm also no longer going to share my spiritual insights with George and his wife. They're not interested in them. Sharing spiritual insights or any insights with people who are not interested, Jesus actually calls it putting your pearls before swine. Not a good idea. The swine actually can't have no use for your pearls. What does it say? They will turn and attack you, is what he says. And that essentially is what happened. Again, some harsh language calling people swine, but if people can't use what you have, you need to be able to to forgive them, to recognize that's not their responsibility to make me feel good about my opinions. It's my responsibility to set a boundary, not to share them with them. So I want to move, I want to move into just taking a few minutes now for forgiveness, for how you can forgive them and what that might look like. I hope you've had a chance to think about this, to talk about this, and to forgive them, but recognize forgiveness is setting a boundary. What boundary can you set? What does a boundary look like? Because setting boundaries with people who you're having confrontations with can look like something insulting, offensive, and many people are not going to want to take that well. And so most of us don't want to set boundaries. But I want you to think now about what boundary you might set with God, basically in a, with your Holy Spirit, with God helping you. What kind of boundary can you set to help this situation not to happen again?
And if it happens again, you can set another boundary. It's not because you didn't set a boundary. But I think setting boundaries is essential if we are going to forgive properly. Every time I look to forgive someone, I want to let this go, but I also want to make sure it doesn't trigger me again. It doesn't make me lose another two or three nights of sleep every time I have an interaction with this person. So in concluding, you can talk about what is the verdict, what you've learned in class today, uh, what you've learned and what you want to do to set a boundary going forward. And then I think it's a good idea, if you can, with the person that you came with or just by yourself, speaking words of forgiveness to that person, releasing them, and then setting the boundary that you're going to need with them. Not, not out of vengeance, out of wisdom, we're setting boundaries. So I'm going to give you a, a minute or two right now. Well, I'll just bless you then with the ironic blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Shalom. Thank you.